Are you a sexy, indulgent musician suffering from consistent long hours, crippling self-doubt, and constant disappointment? Well, do we have a show for you. Welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Disappointment, a bi-weekly deep dive into what it takes to be a healthy and successful musician in the modern industry. My name is Melody Kaiser. And I'm Dustin Williams. And we are both full-time musicians and creative entrepreneurs. And today we are discussing the songs that have shaped us as musicians and as people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so many. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I say, oh, yeah, at, like at the beginning of every episode. You do. <laughs> I don't know why. He's so ready. You're like the Kool-Aid man of oh, Sex, yeah. Drugs, and Disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> you just bust through the wall. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> I think you do. I think you do I, say, "Oh yeah," every I'm time. I'm fairly certain I do. Yeah, fairly certain. It's okay. So yeah, I mean, music obviously has impacted our lives because that's what we do for a living. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to talk about songs that have kind of made us better players. We learn something from them, and then a couple that we just really like. Yeah. So. For sure. Let's sure. just jump in because we've got so many. So Hopefully many. we'll introduce yeah, yeah. you to some new music that you haven't heard of. But. Right. Or give you a new appreciation for something you have. Yeah. Dustin's obsessed with the year 1969. We found. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> every song. Well, almost every song with the exception of a few is from that year for yeah. Dustin. Yeah. And 76. You had that. In I'm there a big too. 76 fan, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know it. <laughs> right. I am. All right. Let's jump in. Okay. Um, I'll go first. So, uh, for me, the, the first one on the list was, uh, is, uh, thank you for letting me be myself by Sly and the Family Stone, which is indeed 1969. Um, <laughs> it's also a really hard, um, song name to spell. Correctly. It is. Yeah. The, the way they spell it on the record is, is pretty wild. You just have to look that one up. Um, <laughs> just type thank you, but instead of writing the word you just write the letter U, and then type Sly Stone and it should pop up. Um, but what I like about this one, it was the first uh, ever recorded instance of slap bass uh, featuring Larry Graham, uh, who is kind of like the godfather of of slap bass. He kind of got it started. Um, there's a whole story behind uh, what led to that, but I'll just we'll tell that another time, um, perhaps or perhaps not. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was uh, really unique, um, and it was like so different from everything else that I'd heard and really listened to up to that point. Um, the bass tone is very interesting. It's like not at all what it would be conventional slap bass tone these days. Right. Like it's really not that bright necessarily. Um, it doesn't have a whole ton of like, like heavy low end. It's very interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, there, I mean, there Sly Stone is definitely like a classic funk, like, um, Maybe a little bit of soul, like, but they would also kind of dive into rock. So they they were a pretty right. cool band. They they did a lot of um, a lot of different stuff. Um, but yeah, Larry Graham uh, is is an OG for sure, and um, and uh, it's a relatively easy slap bass line to learn. Like it's <clears throat> it's not super complicated, um, but since, it's just sorry. sorry go no, go ahead. I was gonna say since we can't play the song, it's hard right. To, yeah, yeah, man. Uh, I'll just boom, 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 <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> Boo, 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 boo. Right. Boo, boo, boo. <laughs> uh, someday soon, hopefully, maybe in in, uh, in the next season here, we'll we'll start getting a little more uh, music into your ears during the podcast. We shall see. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. So that's that's my first one. Uh, it was just very foundational for me. Taught a lot. Uh, taught me a lot about um, uh, different capabilities of the bass and uh, different roles it can play, uh, different sounds you can get, all kinds of. Uh, really dope stuff. Right. So yeah. that's awesome. Well, my first song is from way later and it's not even a song that I really play a lot or I listen to a lot now um, or listen to a lot now, but it's more than words by extreme. It came mm. out in 1990. Um, this one was just really important because it was the first full song I ever learned. Nice. Um, and so it was in like a guitar world magazine that we had subscribed to when we first started playing guitar. It was one of those things like it was like a guitar center promotion. So we mm, got guitar okay. World magazine for like a year or something, okay. like $3 a month or yeah. something like that. Um, but anyway, it was in the tabs in the magazine. And so it taught me how to read tabs. Um, 
and it was kind of the introduction to Nuno Betancourt, who's obviously a total beast on total guitar. Total beast. Um, so yeah, and it was, you know, people think of that song when they think of Extreme because I think it was their biggest hit. But Extreme were actually a really crazy rock band. So if you haven't heard, you know, some Extreme stuff and you're a guitar player, you should definitely check it out. The name says it all. It is pretty extreme, <laughs> especially that new song that everybody's going wild about. I think even Rick Beato did a video on it because uh, Nuno does a guitar solo. It, people couldn't figure out how the hell he was doing it. But Oh, really? It's What's pretty the song? Awesome. I'm trying to remember here. Let me look really quick uh, while we're talking. But yeah, it's it's super, super technical. Um so yeah, you said it was it was crazy. this one was one of the first not the one we were talking about about to talk about but the one you just mentioned right I think it's called Rise Rise is the new yeah. one okay Rise is okay. the new one and everybody's been talking oh. about it because it's so tricky yeah I think you might have actually showed me this now that yeah. I think about it and Maybe. you were telling me something about it being like really wild pretty nuts yeah yeah it was like a weird I don't even think it's a tapping technique it's just almost like a slap technique, kind of like the Tosinabasi kind of stuff. Oh, like the left hand, like percussive right. kind of thing. It sounds like nuts. Mm. Um, okay. It's pretty cool. You should check it out. I will. So anyway, yeah, that was kind of the first full song that I learned. So I had to throw that in there. You got uh, to. It taught me a lot. <laughs> How to read tab. Right? Yeah. And, you know, it has that like slap guitar part, you know, the picking technique, the boo deck. With the percussion, oh, you add yeah, that yeah, in yeah, there. Yeah, 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 totally. I had no idea how to do that before that song, and that's cool. Use that all the time. Nice now, but yeah, yeah, yeah you do actually totally. Yeah. yeah, that's a big part of your. Of your it's playing. just like rhythmic stuff. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Okay. And um, that one goes boom da boom da boom da boom ba da boom. We're gonna do this for every song. <laughs> no, I'll eventually stop. Uh, will you though? <laughs> Um, okay, so After my, this one. yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, my next one is the Lemon Song by Led Zeppelin, uh, which was also 1969, apparently. <laughs> um, so uh, I really like this one uh, a lot because um, it taught me walking bass, really. And uh, it's it's a blues song based off of Killing Floor by Howling Wolf, um, and it's just like a one four five blues progression, like pretty straightforward mm -hmm. and classic. Um, but there's this section in the song where it's like after like the kind of like faster, louder, like double time part and they really bring it down and it just becomes like a bass vocal and drum, uh, jam. thing jam. Yeah. yeah. And, and the bass is like outlining all these chords and it's really like John Paul Jones is using just like major pentatonic and, and like blues and bebop scales, like a lot nice. of chromatics, um, but it's just the way he freaking sits in the pocket. Um, and like, like it doesn't sound like he's overplaying, but I mean, he's playing a lot of notes, but like it, it's so perfect and so well thought out and just like such a good example of how you can use very simple concepts like the pentatonic and, and bebop scales and, uh, and improvise on it for a long time. And, um, and as a bass player, you know, like our, our part of a big part of our job is to outline chords. Um, and usually we're not, uh, you know, playing by ourselves when that's happening. So it's a really cool way to see like, oh, this is what it sounds like when you take everything else out and you give it only a vocal context and then a drum context right. for, for the rhythmic side of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a really, really, really dope song. Um, uh, Lyrically interesting. <laughs> it's the one that I couldn't quit you. Right. Yeah, and now yeah, yeah. it starts in the juice roads down my leg. Like yeah. just, just like it's, oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. but uh but yeah, I mean it's it's just incredible, blues. incredible yeah. blues. Uh and uh it yeah, it was very, very foundational. I and mean, Zeppelin in general, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, was huge for me, but me too. So it was it was hard to pick a song, but I think bass wise I had to go with that one. Right. Yeah, no, that's a great one. Well, I'll throw my Zeppelin one in there because the, I think I've actually said it on the podcast too, but the Rain song mm. for me, which I think was on the Houses of the Holy album, it says 1973. So that sounds about right. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was one of the first songs that I got like emotional listening to. Mm. Um, it's in like a cool alternate tuning, um, a lot of like voice led chords Yeah. Uh, without being um, cliche, like line cliches. It kind of avoids that. Yeah. 
but it's just I don't know something about it to me just sounds like a timeless melody and then when the drums come in then it's just like dope yeah it just hits (laughs) it's like stairway or yeah like songs that build yeah I think houses of the holy is my favorite Zeppelin album actually from top to bottom it's pretty it's so good it's solid (laughs) and ironically doesn't feature the songs or the song houses of the holy right which is also a really good song it's true but yeah, I don't know why that what didn't make it to the record. I don't know. Anyway, uh, also in the Rain song, isn't there like a lot of, um, I could be mistaken, but isn't there like a lot of string work? Like, yeah, like, like there is. the Mellotron like the, yeah, stuff that it's the John did? Yeah. yeah. So cool. So it cool. is the springtime of my loving. <laughs> pew, 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 <laughs> pew, doo, pew. Anyway, I love that song. <laughs> it's so good. It so is. Good. I mean, yeah. you just, yeah. It's just, it sounds timeless to me. Because it is. It is. Um, yeah. Uh, All right. I'm not going to sing this one because I, I don't even want to Because you try. don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So me and my bass guitar, Victor Wooten, 1996. Uh, this was off of the Show of Hands uh, original release. Um, so this one I heard, I believe I was in ninth grade. I was taking a guitar class that my school offered and... Um, I was there a little bit early, and this uh, other guy that was in the class, who was who was also a bass player uh, first, or at least primarily, uh, his name was Alex Bulig. Um, and so, if you're listening, man, shout out to you, um, because this song introduced me to a whole different style of uh, of bass, and specifically slap bass technique. Um, it uh, features a lot of like left hand, like percussion, kind of again, like the Tosin Abasi thing. Right. I mean, Tosin actually studied with Victor for a while, so I, he probably got some of that from him too. That tracks. Um, it tracks for sure. <laughs> They're very good. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, and there's like one section in the song after kind of like the re-intro point where he does this like uh, triplet thing where he's he's doing like a down thumb, up thumb, and then pluck with his uh, index finger. That's just like iconic if you're a victor fan at all and you you know this song probably um but it was interesting because i heard it and and i tried to like learn it by ear and i had no idea what he was doing technique wise because like i could have looked it up on youtube but youtube was still young right at the time so like um i just it didn't occur to me because it wasn't part of my everyday experience uh so i had my own kind of unique way of learning how to play it first so i did a lot of just like tapping with my right hand um really just for percussion, not for like notes or anything. But once I actually learned how it was played, then I kind of had to restart. And, uh, but it was actually really good that I did that because now it, it's given me like a new, um, tool set that I can use. And, and again, it introduced me to Victor, uh, further. And, and so like some of my, like one of my favorite records of all time is, is, um, the Palm mystery, uh, record, which is a full band record that features like several of the Wooten brothers and, and some other musicians that are really killer. Um, but yeah, me and my bass guitar, uh, you know, I mean, it says it in the name, it's literally just him and a bass and he's like rapping vocals over it and it's freaking awesome. It's so nice. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to sing that one. <laughs> I assume it goes like something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, one that I've always, um, it taught me a lot was Little Wing, but the Stevie Ray Vaughan version. Mm. Uh, cause when I was a kid, I got, uh, like a, TV Ray Vaughan music video compl- compilation thing on DVD. Oh, cool. And it was the on music that. Music video compilation. Yeah. Cool. Um, and it was on that. So that was kind of how I was introduced to it. Uh, but it basically taught me just how to play smoothly. I was kind of a lumberjack before. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was kind of rough. Chopping. Yeah. You know, which it was huge, obviously. Um, just to teach proper like picking technique and just to calm down a little bit. Yeah. Because um, yeah. that is one thing I will say, uh, the Stevie Ray Vaughan version does, the, the Hendrix version doesn't do quite as much. Is It's just a little bit smoother. Like yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. lot less mm-hmm. um, kind of staccato. And so it really forces you to uh, play smoothly. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, and obviously like Hendrix is, you know, incredible and, and, and such a foundational part of, yeah. of guitar playing and rock. But like, it's pretty well known that, I mean, he was kind of a sloppy player. He was. <laughs> like, he yeah. was a sloppy dude, for sure. But, like, it was part of his sound. Right. Um, and, I mean, he did write this song, so that's pretty cool. Of course, right, right. Like, obviously, you know, prolific artist Hendrix right. was. Um, but it's co- it's interesting that your introduction to that song was not his version. 
Right. Um, I found the Hendrix version later. Yeah. Honestly, I kind of found Hendrix in general later. Really? Because, you know, you know, like when you're nine or like 10 and you're just starting, it's kind of like you slowly get older. It, yeah. Least, right. You know, like mm-hmm. you don't. Uh, well, I guess that's not true because we did. I grew up with like James Brown and stuff like that, like kind of the best of okay. stuff yeah. with him. But I think it just kind of depended. I don't think my parents were really into Hendrix. So he kind of, I just kind of discovered him on my own later. Yeah. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. But oh, yeah. I, yeah, that one was really, really hugely impactful for me. Um, there's something else I was going to say about that with Stevie uh, Ray Vaughan, but I'll, if, if I think of it, I'll, I'll come yeah. back to it. He had a ton um, of smoother kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. So you should definitely check it out. You could learn a lot of like just interesting technique from him. Yeah. Um, a lot of it, you know, was very pentatonic driven and, you know, traditional in a lot of ways, but he was just very good at it. Well, that's the thing, right? It's so cool. Like he, he was able to do so much with just like the five basics. notes, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's awesome. Right. Yeah. For um, sure. so my next one is Invaders by Iron Maiden, which is not 1969. <laughs> it is 1982. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Iron Maiden was huge for me. It taught me a lot of technique stuff, specifically like the three finger gallop thing that uh, that Steve was kind of known for. Um, it, it also kind of introduced me to this idea of like quote unquote lead bass, um, where where the bass. I mean, he would go up in in the upper register a lot. I mean, and John Paul Jones did that too. But um, I think I just paid more attention to that uh, Steve Harris stuff because it was more aggressive and the tone was bright, so it really stuck out in the mix. Right. Um, but what's cool about invaders as well is, uh, you know, it's super fast. So it, it kind of pushed me to, to have to work on my speed and accuracy. Uh, it also features a lot of modal stuff like the Mixolydian scale and the, the natural minor scale. Um, and, uh, it kind of a little bit of sequencing happening in it as well. So you kind of like introduced me to the idea of like, Oh, a scale isn't just like ascending and descending. Like you can reorder the notes and you can play them in triplets or, or whatever. Um, so, and, and since then, you know, I mean, Steve Harris has remained a huge influence on my playing, uh, as far as like anything kind of in that style. Um, and fun fact, he, he was also the, like the, the chief songwriter, uh, behind a lot of their stuff, um, lyrically and, uh, just like quarterly. And like, he, he basically was like the MD and kind of the band leader, um, which is really dope because, uh. You know, I mean, there's plenty of, of, of examples of bass players who, who do that, especially nowadays. There's so many of them. But uh, it was like maybe an earlier example of, of that um, in, in metal, especially. Because right. in metal, you usually, it's going to be the guitar player probably who's, who's leading the charge there. For but, sure. Um, yeah. It was I cool mean, that, it depends. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. You know. Yeah. Um, but it's just cool to, to have that early instance of that. Um, right. So yeah, Invaders is a big one for sure. Yeah, I loved Iron Maiden too. Kind of for the same reasons, um, just their songwriting. The guitar techniques were very, like it taught me a lot about alternate picking um, and like speed mm. alternate picking. Harmony too. Yeah. Because they harmonize so they many do. of their parts. And then Bruce Dickinson just has a really good scream. Oh, so. Such a badass. Yeah. Yeah. That guy's pretty cool. What, what was the drummer? It was like Nico McBrain or something right, like yeah, that. Yeah. Crazy last name. And also... <laughs> a. a Killer drummer. Yeah. Killer drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. I've always loved Iron Maiden. Um, Okay, so my next one, this was really hard for me because honestly, I find David Bowie in general hugely influential. But something about the song Heroes I've just always loved. It came out in 1977. Um, This is partially just one that impacted me personally just because I've, anytime I've kind of fallen down or like, you know, been kind of sad or depressed going through a stage. I listen to that song a lot. Um, and for some reason, it's just kind of healing for me. That's cool. But yeah, um, but uh, it has taught me a lot about production because it is so thick with like noise and yeah. feedback. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So usually I'm not into that sort of thing too much. Like I, I do like Sonic Youth, but that was one thing, you know, like the Titanium Expose, like that wasn't so much... Usually I would skip over that song. So yeah, it's, it's not a bit like, more performance art. Yeah, in a it's lot of not ways. really <laughs> so much that for me. Um, but I don't know. It just has such a cool, like, layered sound. And mm-hmm. I haven't heard any other songs really that sound just like it. So it's yeah. cool, you know, 
that they achieved all of those unique sounds. I think that what I've understood about it is they just cranked everything up and just kind of let it feedback. Yeah. That's and cool. Then they just, <laughs> but it sounds so awesome because yeah. it's in key and yeah. So that one's huge for me, but honestly, a lot of David Bowie songs, obviously lyrically, and then his songwriting is just always very unique. Incredible. And, and he always had such amazing uh, session musicians right. on all the stuff too. Like all of the bass players that he's worked with over the years have gone on to do other like really big things and, right. and um, very creative lines. And uh, yeah, anyway, um, Bowie is the shit. Yeah, you can't go wrong, <laughs> yeah. honestly. I was thinking of so many songs like, and he changed so much, which I love artists like that. Oh man, yeah. Like, it's like it's, every other record is totally different. Right. I mean, honestly, I even like that in like, share like i just yeah. love artists that just like completely rebrand themselves every yeah. couple albums that's so cool to it me. is it is and, and, <laughs> and it, some people really don't like that like some people give artists flack for changing like that although i will say i feel like nowadays it's a lot more accepted in the general uh public and population because like so many modern artists now like i mean I mean, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Whoa. Yeah, Beyonce. She did a 180 for sure um, from country. Oh, huge. Yeah, she's probably one of the most obvious ones because and of that Miley, switch. Miley, Miley Cyrus. Cyrus. Yeah, she yeah. did a 180 too. She did. Um, uh, Machine Gun Kelly like was a rapper right. for the longest time and now he's doing like this pop like punk. pop punk shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not like a huge fan of his or a huge fan of like Taylor, but I, I respect the hustle and I respect the, um, the artistic uh, approach and perspective. I mean, I know? definitely think it's key to maintaining pop relevance. Yes. Yeah. Um, cause all of those artists like, you know, share or a great example, just because she just passed was Tina Turner. Like, Oh man. Yeah. She in the eighties, she rebranded herself and became like a pop star. Number one artist in like her fifties. I know, isn't Which that nuts? Which in the 80s was just not a thing. It's, yeah, like, totally. It just was, it's more acceptable now, I think, than it was in the 80s. Oh, for sure. For so sure. that was a huge deal, you know? I love artists that do that. I think that's awesome. Yeah, hell yeah. It's like they still have some more to give, but it's just completely in a different direction. It, yeah, right, right. <laughs> that's so um, cool to me. Yeah. Uh, and and so my next one... Uh, he, he didn't do this as much, but he sort of did this over the years. Like, uh, so it's Ozzy Osbourne, um, crazy mm -hmm. train is the song, uh, 1980. Um, and you know, he's, he's obviously sounded like Ozzy his, his whole career. He, like he's done his thing, but in the early, like think of like, uh, black Sabbath days, like he was a lot more blues influenced. And then over the years, I think he's kind of gotten more like, um, probably from the people he's worked with too. Like there, there's some classical elements and pop elements that have kind of leaked into the music or, or seeped into the music. And crazy train is one of those where, um, like, uh, for me, what I liked about it is it, uh, it kind of taught me or introduced me to the idea of, of a very obvious relative major and minor. Right. Um, so F sharp like, minor, a major, a major. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the verses, like the bass line is so dope. It's kind of got this like disco vibe, which <laughs> it was just so interesting because like, you know, my early iterations and and, and understanding of, of Ozzy was uh, Paranoid and um, uh, Iron Man and stuff right. like that that are just so dark and brooding right. and, or, or like energetic, like bordering on thrash metal, like starting to kind of get that genre introduced. Um and what's cool about Crazy Train is it's just a kind of a departure from that. And it's like quarter you know, notes, isn't it? Okay. So it Octaves uses in there. There's like well, there's like a walk down the major scale with uh. an A in the root the whole time. So it's uh, pedal tones introduced me to the idea of pedal tones. Um uh which is uh for those who don't know, a pedal tone is when you just play the same note over a chord progression, even though the chords may change, like uh, you know, it's it like the bass would play an A and the guitar might play like an A E D chord. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, and then uh, you know it's just a cool riff too. So like I also started picking up guitar around like maybe about a year after the bass and Crazy Train was one of the early songs I learned because like everybody just thought it was the, a cool song right. and wanted to learn it and uh, it's very popular in the middle school scene. Um, I mean for sure I learned it. Um, I that was actually when I met the, my first drummer that I did stuff with we met in high school and played crazy train nice. in band class oh sick so that's cool yeah <laughs> so love randy rose yeah 
it was you know that yeah that song was really cool iconic yeah for sure um okay so my next one i it's really hard for me to pick a journey song because i like went through a very serious stage that i may or may not still be in <laughs> she is she's still in it i'm still in it but i'm not quite as in it it, so it was very obsessive. I'm, I have a problem. <laughs> when, I was, when I was in high school, I watched the same live um, in Houston videotape in my VCR every morning before Really? School. Nice. <laughs> the same thing on loop for like over a year. It was a couple school years. And so my family, we listened to the same five songs every morning. That's some school. intense study, you know? It was an intense study, I mean, study, you, know, yeah. you know those songs pretty damn well now, I would say. I know them extremely well. Uh, and that was, I mean, the, all of that has been hugely influential for me because that was the first artist where I really, like, forced myself to learn every song as note for note as I could get it. Oh, okay. Which obviously nice. helped me so much. Um, but the song that I chose just to feature, cause I don't know, it just taught me a lot about vocal harmonies is girl can't help it, which was actually from an album they released in 1986. Um, and it's just got a really complicated, complex harmony arrangement and mm. it's so cool. Yeah. And it kind of taught me about like, it almost kind of has the choir harmonies like you hear in churches a lot Yeah, when churches have like super complex choirs and not just everybody singing the same thing. But, um, yeah, that one's hugely influential for me, but honestly, all of them are. What's, uh, what's the guitar player's name? I always forget. Neil Sean. Neil Sean. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was going to say, you... Sean. Oh, yeah, I was going to say Neil the... Simon. I'm like, that's not right. No, it's Neil Sean. <laughs> Neil Sean. Yeah. He's really, really great. Uh, he's another example. Pretty much all of those songs taught me fast, alternate picking, uh, mm. melodic soloing. He's very good at phrasing. Uh, you can sing most Journey solos. Yeah, that's like, so true. Do, 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 boo, boo, boo. <laughs> like he, he basically matches the melody a lot. Yeah. Um, or if he does a shred part, it's just to get to another melody line. Right, like right. Like it's usually just in passing, mm -hmm. which I think is really cool. That is cool. And yeah. I've used that a lot in my own playing. Yeah. I try to like not just like, you know, play fast the whole time. So that was very... Um, you know, taught me a lot. Even that song, uh, what is the, Who's Crying Now, where the guitar solo is literally just, and it just repeats that. Like, how simple, how awesome is that? That's interesting because that melody is kind of similar to the the guitar thing that you do in the art, one of our new songs. Probably. And, and, um, it's probably in, unintentionally. Yeah, came well, out. But, it, but it's the perfect part because I remember you coming up with it when we were working on it and I was like, oh yeah, that's it. That's right. great. Uh, but I forget. It's uh, just so simple. It's uh, about time. Oh yeah. On the verse, probably. second verse. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. Dang it. Yep. No, that's good. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not a direct rip. It's definitely <laughs> no, not, it's but it, it's influenced. Answer. Yeah, for um, sure. Which is um, awesome. But yeah, I, that's probably, I mean, that totally makes sense. Yeah, that's <laughs> Why right. that would come into my head. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so anything by them, um, you know, I probably need help, professional help <laughs> to, get off the, to get off the journey thing. <laughs> Anytime we're on a road trip, everybody hates me because everybody's like sharing like their cool new music that they found. I'm like, yeah. but have you heard this song that I know we've listened to 14,000 <laughs> times together? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, it's it, like a lot of the stuff you've shown me when we've been in those situations has, has been stuff I haven't heard. Like it, it hasn't been the, the hits. It's been deep cuts. It's been deep cuts. Yeah. Honestly, I like deep cut journey a lot. Yeah. Well, cause that was the more proggy stuff, right? So it's like a lot more complex. Yeah. I mean, it depends. So the proggy stuff was more pre Steve Perry, but oh, even okay. the deep cuts with Steve Perry are, are great songs. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of them are definitely better than others but well every band has that. yeah yeah but they're they're really really good okay. well put yeah. together um i don't know they're just kind of like the band that i obsessed with in high school so that's of course cool. i gotta put that on the list yeah we yeah. all had we all had ours for sure i had several <laughs> that, that i was obsessed with yeah i well, i'll tell a story in a minute but. okay um <laughs> you can go uh okay so my next one is time bomb by rancid um which was 1995 um, I got introduced to Rancid by a friend, um, I believe it was my friend Ryan, uh, or it could have been Charlie. They, they were both, uh, we were all like a, a friend group. And anyway, they, they were really into Rancid. I think it was Ryan. Um, 
But Time Bomb uh, is really cool because it's um, an example of walking bass in punk rock. Mm. Um, like the, the, it is not a lot of punk rock of this era was just like root notes, like right. eight, driving eights. Um, but this was like actually walking the scales and and the arpeggios of the chord. Uh, and it was all with a pick as well. So it um, learning Time Bomb taught me a lot more about how to use a pick and like economy style picking and efficiency, um, as well as like an example of, of how you can use some like modal stuff in more like alternative and punk settings uh, that I wasn't used to hearing. Because a lot right. of the stuff that, that was in that vein, not all of it, but a lot of the stuff that I was hearing was just like really simple and basic and and you know, as a teenager, like you're not into something simple. Like right. as a teenager, you want the most complex stuff you can find. Now, sure. of course, I can look back and listen to like, you know, a simple Blink-182 baseline and be like, yeah, that's awesome. That's perfect. You know, but right. uh, it wasn't doing it for me at the time. So Time Bomb uh, is a great tune. Matt Freeman on the bass for that one. Um, and uh, a, a true legend of a player for sure. Definitely. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that song. I have heard it, but it's mm -hmm. been a long time. It's really good. It's off of the, uh, uh, and out come the wolves is the name of the record. Uh, starts with Maxwell murder, which I, I didn't mention, but is, is another huge one because it's got this badass bass solo, which just nice. doesn't happen in punk a lot. Um, so yeah, highly recommend that whole record for sure. Really, really yeah. good. Um, well, we both talked about this one. YYZ yeah. by Rush. Totally. Uh, 1981 for me, it, was definitely just influential on just weird rhythms, um, mm -hmm. when to come in, and then the harmonic minor scale. It, yeah. It, the solo. The solo, yeah, yeah, yeah. the harmonic minor thing, and that kind of taught me what that was. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it taught, it, it taught for me, and probably you, uh, you, I would guess, like a lot of, um, like obviously fast riffs and like right. uh, how to play that stuff in time, because it still grooves. Like right. the song grooves, but like it's you know it's like it's quick for sure um right uh and everybody gets a really cool feature in the song too for sure and it's another example on the guitar of just like technical alt alternate picking um you know just jumping all around string skipping kind of stuff he, does he do a lot of tapping on that one too it sounds like tapping but i don't know i don't remember for some reason i'm kind of drawing a blank on the solo except for the yeah yeah the harmonic minor thing that's all I can remember from it for right now. I think he does do some tapping because there's that thing right maybe near the beginning. Maybe just left hand tapping. I doubt he did two hand tapping, but maybe. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. But it's a damn good song. Right. For sure. Yeah. For the tapping stuff, I'll just go ahead and throw in an honorable mention. Just a lot of Van yeah. Halen stuff. Oh, yeah. Totally. For, for sure. me. I feel Van like Halen, that was, you just had to learn it. I was going to say, if you're a guitar player, Van Halen was just one of the things is you, you at least have to intro be introduced to it. Right. And like attempt. Right. You know, like I, it was never really a thing for me because most of the Van Halen, like rhythm section stuff or bass stuff, the drum stuff was pretty intense. The bass boom, stuff was mostly, boom, boom, yeah, a lot of quarter boom. notes, driving eights. I mean, there's some right. stuff that, that has some challenges, but for the well, most part. Well, it was part, crazy that he was able to sing the high harmony and play the bass parts at the same time. That was oh, was he? I did see. Part. I didn't know that he was yeah. singing the harmonies. Mm -hmm. That's cool. But that totally tracks. Yeah, that makes sense. Because Eddie's Eddie's too busy. Right. <laughs> His brother. I think he would sometimes sing. Would he sing harmonies? Okay. I don't know. I would have to go back. And I'm not watch. surprised. I mean, he's he's very musically talented. Total, yeah, total nutcase sure. in his early days, but. <laughs> Weren't they all? Yeah. Aren't absolutely. we all? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying it like I'm not totally insane. Uh, <laughs> Everybody um, who listens to this already knows that I'm totally insane. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting over here like boom, boom. Yeah. Boom. It goes <laughs> just, like this. <laughs> <laughs> just acapella on all yeah. these rock songs. Um, okay. So uh, my next one is Sissy Strut by The Meters. Well, guess what um, year that came out? <laughs> 1969 <laughs> um this i mean apparently a freaking great year for music at least for me um it was the year that woodstock happened so that's pretty cool true very true um so uh the the sissy strut is um what taught me restraint um it taught me funk and groove and pocket because it's it's really not a fast song Dude, 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 right? So it's like it's got like a nice mid-tempo kind of mm -hmm. swung pocket, um, but the bass line is very restrained. 
um like it's matching the guitar for like the two like a and b sections and then like during the solo um like uh what is it an organ solo or guitar solo i should know this but i've listened to so much of their stuff and sometimes it blends together um <laughs> i know that but, feeling yeah uh but george porter is the bass player um george porter jr excuse me um and uh he he just really knows how to do a lot with very little um and uh and they, they would all sing too which is really cool to me like all four of them would would kind of harmonize and sing vocals and um and each of them were were giants of their instrument um right you know and uh and it why this one was also big for me is because um so when i was in high school uh one of the many musical projects i got involved with was a uh the house band of a local music store called music matters um and they were trying to promote their lessons and their store in general so they created this house band um I, <laughs> what's really funny about this is the drummer i believe did go there but like me and the guitar player did not take lessons there so we <laughs> they were just like using us as like this promotional <laughs> thing like oh yeah like come and learn to be great and check out these kids they're pretty solid and it's like no i actually did all this myself <laughs> but thanks <laughs> is there another organization called music matters because um, i feel like i know somebody that works there i actually do believe there is they like um, do rigging or like put shows together or something okay know. yeah but but this store i actually don't know if this store still exists i think they might have gotten bought out finally like a couple years ago oh, okay um, but they only had like three or four locations. Uh, I got my first like real big bass amp from there too, uh, which turned out to be kind of a piece of shit, but like it worked for the time and I didn't really know what was what, uh, sometimes I still don't, but, um, <laughs> anyway, Sissy Strut was one of the songs we played in this house band. So nice. that's why I, I bring up that story. Um, very cool. Yeah. Dope song. I like it. So I'm going to put these together because they're kind of the same idea. Um, Fleetwood Mac stuff, Lindsey Buckingham, hugely influential on me. He was another artist that I kind of obsessed with for a while. I go through phases of artists. Yeah, like I'll same. obsess with one and try to learn everything that they have to, to teach and then kind of move on. But Never Going Back Again, that one's pretty popular right now. I think there was like a TikTok thing that used it. Um, and that was off of Rumors. So that was 1977. That one taught me Travis picking, nice. which is like using your thumb to keep something steady and then the rest of your fingers play a different melody completely. Mm -hmm. And that really taught me a lot about just like finger independence, obviously, Yeah, totally. uh, which really kind of came uh, in after that. I kind of focused on like Jerry Reed and Chet Atkins and like the country, more country side of it, because I learned like Travis picking was from Merle Travis. So then I like. It kind of snowballed. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It kind of got into that for a second. Um, I bet that also kind of helped you prepare for some jazz stuff, too, because, like... It did. You know, you have to do sometimes walking bass on the guitar. Right. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And it just, you know, it's just a cool thing that not a lot of guitar players can do. So it's very... Yeah. It really helped a lot with that. Uh, and then Big Love, the um, solo version that Lindsay does particularly, but that one came out in 87. But I, the studio version, I think, has the guitar part in there, but it's covered up by so much production. So I really listened more to, um, you know, just him doing it solo. And that one just has a very advanced, it taught me, you know, your thumb basically just keeps a very steady beat on the open strings. And then the rest of your fingers do a different melody. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So that's kind of tricky, too. Yeah. It's a crazy song. I had never really heard it until you showed me that live one where you're yeah. doing it on the acoustic. And it was like, holy crap. Yeah, he's like, really this good. this is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> he's really, really good. Yeah. Several of his songs, uh, for me, I could honestly, best of Lindsey Buckingham, I would say. Yeah. Because I, I kind of, yeah, listen to so many. Just his melody writing and stuff is so cool, too. He seems like a strange guy. But he's definitely on my list of like, what's up with that? <laughs> right. He was the SNL skit. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he just seems very intense. But I guess when you're like that talented, it's OK to be that intense. Yeah. And when your band was that dramatic right. all the time, like you're bound to be <laughs> fucked up in some way. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, all right. So my next one is Sir Duke by Stevie Wonder, uh, 1976. Um, <clears throat> so this one was big for me because it was one of the first songs that I learned 
by ear, like note for note. Like I got every part of the baseline note for note um, because I I spent so much time with this one. I really wanted to learn that, you know, the, the riff everybody knows. Yeah, uh, we could keep going, but we're not going to. We're not going to. <laughs> we're not going to. Um, but uh, uh, it's a great example of the major pentatonic scale and how you can use, again, a very simple scale to write a very singable melody. Like we just demonstrated that. And of course, we're, we're practiced musicians, but like a lot of people can sing that even if they don't play anything because uh, it's just it's so well written. Um, and, uh, it was also, uh, really, uh, influence, uh, influential for me, um, in that it was probably one of the first, like, early, like, jazz, funk, soul style tunes that I, uh, kind of really tried to learn. Um, and, uh, funny story, several years ago, uh, I want to say it was 2020, actually, maybe 21, but I, I'm pretty sure it's 2020, um, in August of that year, uh, I went to record on a, uh, a project that unfortunately ended up getting scrapped later, which really sucks. But um, we recorded at a studio in the country in Louisiana. Um, I think it's Louisiana. It should be Louisiana. It's, it's, I feel like it's kind of on the border of Mississippi and Louisiana. So uh, anyway, um, uh, that is where uh, Stevie Wonder did um, uh, several of his really big records. I want to say... I don't know if it was Songs in the Key of Life that was done there, but it might have been. Cool. Um, and Kansas did uh, their Carry On nice. record there. And yeah, so uh, anyway, it was just cool to like years later after having learned Sir Duke to like be able to be in the studio where like Stevie's, some of Stevie's stuff was recorded. Right. Um, so yeah, and it's just one of those songs where like if you can play it, like um, people are always like excited about like other musicians in particular, like, right. Oh sweet. Okay. You knew that one. Great. We can do that together. Right. You know, it is a fun one. Yeah, for sure. It is. I would sing it, but I'm not going to let you. <laughs> My spirit was crushed. <laughs> Even though you would do a great job. <laughs> spirit crusher. <laughs> we have um, a timeline. I know. I'm <laughs> um, uh, for me, I also went through a Smith stage. So I had oh, to yes. call those out. Particularly the two that I love the most was How Soon Is Now and What Different Does What Difference Does It Make? I think those are off the same album. Mm. Uh I believe. Because they both came out the same year. So I'm assuming. Do you know what album it was? I feel no. I my gut wants to say Big Mouse Strikes Again, but I don't mm. think that's it. Um I think that's just <laughs> for some reason that's the one that popped into my head. But anyway, those were just really cool. I love Johnny Marr. His Guitar parts were very creative. Um, yeah, just a great player, great band. Such great texture in their yeah. music. I, I also really dig the Smiths. I think Meat is Murder was the album that I got really kind of introduced to them on. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's a lot of dense layering mm -hmm. and like the bass lines. Uh, Andy Rourke, I believe, I could totally be wrong, but I feel like didn't he just pass away recently or something? Or am I totally making that I up? Don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't I, think I heard that, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I want to say he did, but I don't know. Um, don't take my word on it. Look it up yourself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Look um, it up yourself. Look it up yourself. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Smiths uh, were, were a big part of my, like, I would say late middle school, early high school for me. Mm. Yeah. For me too, actually. I think. Yeah. I mean, I still love them. I listen to them all the time. So good. Some of their songs aren't my favorite, but oh, definitely not. And Morrissey's like a crazy person, but yeah, totally uh, not not uh, not a great reputation, but um, yeah, definitely um, not. But good, good band. Yeah, good for band. sure. Um. Okay, so of course I had to. <laughs> I had we to got mention, a complicated order. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had to. <laughs> make uh, a Jocko appearance here uh, or Jocko had to make an appearance here. So for me, um, high school, I think is when I got introduced to him. Um, so there's tons of amazing Jocko songs, of course, but uh, I had to mention specifically Portrait of Tracy, 1976 um, for the harmonics and false harmonics. Um, there's a lot to be learned from that song just based around that concept alone. And then you include like the actual, like the fact it still it still blows my mind. Like it still is just like, how did he do this? Where 
he found all these like false harmonics and wrote these really complex chord changes and jazz melodies with like all harmonics. And to me, that's really mind blowing. And I think for most bass players, it was when they first heard it because that's just not something the bass is known for. It's not what it does in a regular setting. So it was really cool, you know, example of, of, you know, taking the bass to a totally different realm. Um, and at this point the bass guitar was only like 25 years old because the first P bass was, I think 51 or something. And, uh, so commercially available bass guitars, uh, and this came out again in '76, so 24 years. I mean, yeah, in he just was a that genius short, for sure. Absolutely, uh, kind of a dick too, and ended up. Um, Didn't he get killed for being for being an asshole? Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that really uh, sucks. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, don't be a dick, kids. Um, <laughs> and then the chicken uh, by Jocko is another uh, great one. 1982, um, 16th note funk really really uh introduced me to that kind of thing and uh and again simple use of of like mostly major pentatonic and like blues scales um in a jazz uh kind of like funk setting um and it was one of the songs one of the uh the more interesting and fun songs that i got to learn for jazz band in high school um so that's kind of introduced me more into jazz and got me like oh okay maybe jazz might actually be kind of cool um, nice. And of course, now it's just. Doesn't become... Little Feet have a song about a chicken? I feel like they do. A lot of bands do. I mean, The Meters has a song, Funky really? Chicken, Funky Chicken, I think. Yeah. yeah, or something like that. But yeah, chickens, for some reason, are very popular in <laughs> funk and blues. I yeah. don't know what the deal is chicken there. Chicken picking. Yeah, chicken picking. Yeah, country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was great. I love Jocko. Honestly, I need to listen to like full albums, though. I've kind of fallen back on I, I that. would highly recommend weather report okay um, did you just I, uh oh gosh i don't remember the which one it was but it's the one that has um teen town on it mm. uh it might even be the record is called teen town i could be totally wrong i need to get better with record names but anyway uh that's a really good one I'll so check it out. yeah check out weather report that was the for those uh listening that was the band that that jocko was um well known for being in before he kind of became more of a, a solo guy. Um, yeah. So one for me that it's an album that definitely kind of changed stuff for me was Synchronicity by the Police. Yeah. Um, honestly, just as a music fan, it was hugely influential. I love the rhythms. I love Stuart Copeland. Oh yeah. Sting's songwriting and melody writing is incredible and so different than so many other people. And then like the chord progressions and the voicing that they do in the guitar parts are amazing. I I will always say Andy Summers is one of the most underrated guitar players of all time. Yeah, so for sure. Good. Um, I love uh, I love the Police in general, and it's not just the Synchronicity album. I actually love most of their stuff that they released. Yeah, I, I wish mean, that they had made more. Same. Yeah. Uh, get yeah. It they, together, guys. Well, they just couldn't get along. No, I know. <laughs> that was their biggest issue. Is, is Stuart? I, I think it was Stuart and. Uh, sting that were always like yeah, liter- literally so. having physical alter- altercations. Um, well, things like play just a basic beat, and Stuart Copeland's like, like he just puts everything on a weird. Well, it's it's like that reggae one drop thing, man. That was such a big part of their sound. But it's funny for me, the Police didn't really come around heavily until like well into my mid twenties when I when I started teaching at at the school because we had a season where we did Police and me and um dj that's how we actually really got close and became friends because we both worked on that show nice and um yeah i mean synchronicity freaking um what's that one uh what's that damn song Uh, when the world keeps getting you down oh i know oh i don't remember the name but i know the song you're talking about it's so good yeah so good um so many of those spirits in the material world is another freaking amazing one i don't know if that's off of that album but i don't uh, remember but yeah the police are just so good and and sting's bass lines are are usually like really simple but just like the note choice is always so perfect right so perfect yeah he's an amazing songwriter yeah for sure his solo stuff is incredibly unique too uh, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love Seven Seven Days. Yeah, such a cool groove. Yeah, um, I actually saw him live at the Jazz Fest uh, 
I want to say it was like 2018, 2019 or something, um, doing his solo stuff. But he played a bunch of police stuff. Josh Freese was on the drums. Oh, yeah. Um, Josh Freese is now playing for the Foo Fighters. Right. Um, oh, man, it's such a good show. Yeah, absolute badass. Yeah, um, for sure. So, uh, okay, next one on my list is Californication by RHCP, Red Hot Chili Peppers, 1999. Um so I'm I'm going to lump two songs together actually. So the other one is "Ramble On" by Zeppelin, 1969, of course, um, and both for the same reason. Um, they're very melodic bass lines, and um, but Californication, I um, I think I was the second one I heard. So I had already heard "Ramble On," um, and "Ramble On" also has a lot more sections where it's just kind of like more groove oriented. Um, but uh, Californication, yeah, it's just like out of nowhere, you know, I kind of heard this like, wow, this is, uh, this is really unique. Cause like, you know, you're used to hearing the bass down low or even if it's up high, it's, it's a lot more like, uh, you know, foundational right. functions. Um, but this was just like, like the bass was the melody of the song. Like, I mean, and it, what's really cool about it too, I think the, the, now that I think more about it is that there's also a vocal melody happening at the same time and they don't, uh, it's a counter, counter each melody. other. Yeah, yeah, it's like they they do sorry, they do counter each yeah. other. They don't uh clash. Right. Right. It's like they they perfectly work together and um uh, you just didn't really see that on the bass a lot. Um at least I hadn't. And so it was it was really cool to to kind of have that experience and um taught me hammer-ons as well, hammer-ons right. and pull-offs. Um so yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, another album for me, Hot Fuss by The Killers. Yeah. 2004, I think. I didn't look that one up, but I think I'm right on that. Um, just the whole album I thought was really, really crazy. Like, especially that it was a debut album. It oh, just sounded was that so, their debut album? I think okay. so. Okay. And it just sounded so different. You know, like, so even I remember when those songs were like on the radio for the first time and it just, you know, just sounded so cool. Like the bass lines had that doo doo boop 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 like that kind yeah, of like yeah, interesting yeah. thing. Very disco on, and funky yeah. kind of stuff. And it had keys in it. It was basically like a new wave band, but yeah. in 2004, which yeah. was so cool. So it had some alternative tw uh, twist to it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that was just hugely influential on me in general. Um, I love the Killers. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. Their new stuff's definitely different. Um in sound but yeah. i still like it agreed agreed mm -hmm. yeah I, I yeah it's still really good um, yeah uh ixnay on the ombre which was uh this is actually just the whole album the offspring i'm not going to list uh, any particular song just because the album itself was this is one of my first introductions to alternative um and punk and um i liked it more than the than like the blank stuff um because it, it just it was a lot more uh, to me, it sounded a lot more like like uh, polished and thought out, and and um, there's a lot of like really like dense layering that that was kind of different from a lot of the punk stuff I had heard, like mm -hmm. the Rancid and the Blink One Eighty Two. Right. Um, the bass tones are really cool. I, I really dug that. Um, the energy was was just like you know high high energy and exciting and. Um, uh, the, just everything surrounding that record really kind of like opened my eyes to more modern music actually, because I, I was, you know, as you can tell listener by, by a lot of the songs that I've brought up and a lot of ones melodies brought up were like seventies and eighties for us. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, and, uh, so like I wasn't listening to a lot of like nineties and two thousands music, uh, until like more into my high school years. We're about 20 yeah. years late on the trends. Yeah, for sure. We're just now starting to listen to the 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll catch up eventually. Right. Uh, um, I think a big one for me too is um, Heart. Obviously, I love so many Heart things. I thought mm. that they were such a cool band. Yes. They have like a Zeppelin vibe in yes. the 70s stuff. Yes. And then Ann Wilson is obviously just incredible and Nancy. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. The latter, of, the latter of which you've met. I have. Yeah. yeah. She's nice. Uh, but Crazy on You was the song that I guess I picked. I, honestly, there's so many of them. Yeah. I, I could list off like the albums that I've loved the most. Yeah. Like um, obviously Dreamboat Annie was a great album. Dog and Butterfly is a great album. Um, 
Little Queen has so many cool, like, groovy bass lines. Oh, yeah, for sure. Little Queen, that's such a cool album. Mm -hmm. Uh, But anyway, Crazy On You just was a really tricky acoustic intro part. And then, um, yeah, I feel like I can't believe I'm blanking. Like Roger and all the all the three guitar players were just incredible. I forget the they had band. three guitar players. Yeah, because yeah, Nancy and then the two other dudes, right? right? Mm-hmm. And then they bass drums. Did they have keys too? I think Roger played the keys if they needed it. Oh, so he would kind yeah. of aux guy yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Okay. Um, I think if I remember that right, or it may have been Howard Lease that did the keyboard stuff because okay. he's the other guitar player. Okay. Um. But anyway, yeah, it's just a great song. Really tricky vocal lines too. Uh, and Wilson yeah. is always like just such a powerful singer. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Her voice is actually really pretty in like head voice too, but like she can just like fucking go. She, yeah, <laughs> she, she really like, can. Yeah, and she still can. I mean, it, her voice is a little bit lower than it used to be, but I mean, she's still an amazing singer. Mm-hmm. You know immediately when it's her. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> do. Sure. There's something very characteristic about her yeah, voice. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. So that heart are hugely influential for me. Yeah. So much of their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, me too, actually. Like, I mean, obviously, like, Barracuda was, right. you know, a big one for me. It taught me some odd time signature stuff. One, and, two, three, four, yeah. five. One, one two, two, three. three. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's a weird one. People and people think it's way easier those songs than they are. Than they are, yeah. Some they, of them are yep. really hard. <laughs> yeah, they're subtly complex. Yeah, for and sure. like I love in the first albums too. Like Ann Wilson would just throw in like a sick flute solo, like in the middle of like. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's so right. many cool, just like Zeppelin-y things that go on in those songs. I She's, love it. Was she the one who played the flute too? Yeah. Okay. So, so she wow. She was like the would, like, precursor to Lizzo. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And her flute solos were always so cool. Um, so yeah, That's sick. obviously yeah. I love them. Um, okay. So uh, my next one, got a couple more here is my curse by kill switch engage, which was 2006. Um, so this was kill switch was my first real introduction to metalcore and like hardcore music that I actually liked. Um, it took me a, mo- a while to kind of get on board with like screaming vocals and like really heavy stuff. Um, because a lot of the stuff that my friends listened to that were in that vein were, it would all kind of sound the same to me. And I, I remember like specifically this one time where my friend burned me a record of this band called destroy the runner. Uh, and I listened to the album and it's all in drop D and every single song starts off with like an open like you know like like it was just so that bothers me with albums too it oh man it 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 almost like made me angry i was just like i can't i cannot and then i got introduced to kill switch and i was like oh i i can do this right um very intricate songwriting uh i believe adam dukowitz the one of the main songwriters and and um he's the lead guitar player well there's two guitar players and they kind of switch off on lead but um He's like Berkeley trained uh, on bass first. Um, he also does all the engineering and, and production for their records. Uh, it's just a very well-rounded artist and musician. Um, and I loved uh, I loved Killswitch. Uh, they had two singers. They had Jesse first, um, and and he was really good. Um, but I actually much preferred Howard. Um, he was their uh, their second vocalist, and he just had this like soulful. Uh, approach to the vocal that like when he would sing and not scream it was just like wow yeah like, I love soulful singers they're my favorite I mean oh man and in metal in like hardcore metal right. it's like what right. uh, you know and then the riffs were always really tasty uh, I learned a lot about like drop tuning and playing like heavier guitar parts um, with you know listening to their albums and learning right. their albums um, so yeah that was they were a huge influence for me for sure. That's awesome. Uh, my last one on here, other than our honorable mentions that we'll quickly go through, uh, is the uh, album Blue by Joni Mitchell, mm. 1971. Yeah. You just, it's my road trip album. Yeah. It's another one that everybody hates at this point because I've listened to it every single road trip. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, I, I haven't heard of people hating that record. But, no, okay. everybody actually loves the record. I've yeah. just run it into the fucking ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everybody is... in the car is like no not again what was 
What was the record that she did that had uh, that was like the jazz record that had like Jocko on it? Yeah, that was later. Because that, that was a really dope record. Yeah. Um, she, I mean, Joni Mitchell is just incredible. Yeah. Her yeah. melody writing, her songwriting, just everything. Her she's, singing. She's, she's one of my just, mom's favorite artists yeah. for sure. Joni Mitchell's the bomb. She is. Yeah. The bomb. I, the bomb. I'm not going to say anything more. Period. <laughs> the end. That's it. You get nothing. <laughs> um, okay. So my last one uh, was uh, the whole album of Good Apollo Volume 4 by Coheed and Cambria, which was 2005. Um, and this one was, it was interesting because when I first heard Coheed and Cambria, it was probably Welcome Home, like most people, uh, which is the title, the, not the title track, the first track on that record. Um, well, technically the second one, cause there's like an intro thing, but anyway, um, if we're getting specific, if we're getting here. specific, uh, <laughs> but, um, it was cool. I liked, I liked the song because it was very reminiscent of Cashmere by Zeppelin. Like it definitely was heavily influenced by that. Um, but it took me a while to get used to Claudio's vocals because they are very particular. They have a very specific tone and a lot of people don't like it. Mm -hmm. And I understand why. Um, but I grew to really appreciate it, especially over like listening to that album many, many times and started realizing how much layering he did. Mm -hmm. um, like his, his vocal la layer like techniques and ideas were like almost like Michael Jackson style, like, like how dense and thick and, and interweaving they were. Um, but that record was also one of the few records that I've ever learned note for note all the way through. Um, and a lot of it had to do with, uh, the, you know, the bass lines just being so, uh, unique. The tone was amazing, uh, to me. Um, it just like, it's a, it's actually like, it's been a huge influence on how my tone usually sounds for like more alternative, uh, and like heavier rock stuff. Um, and, uh, I also, got to record at the, at the studio they did that record at up in New York um, with uh, with the sagas when we were still the Silver Comet at the time. Um, but uh, that really was an epic experience. Um, really, really cool story behind that, but for another time. Um, but yeah, that, that whole record, the bass player, Mike Todd, who is not in the band anymore because um, he got arrested for holding up a convenience store. <laughs> Did he really? <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of it's 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 fucked up. So like, I don't want to like joke about it too much, and, and I, I don't want I don't mean to make fun of the man. I mean, it was kind of silly. Like, what the fuck were you thinking, dude? But um, it was a result of like opioid addiction, which oh. I you know it's a huge problem in this country, and and um, uh, and it's something that needs to be addressed. And um, so it's 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 really sad like that that happened, but uh, it's also like. If you detach yourself emotionally a little bit, it's kind of funny because um, it's just like this dude who clearly has enough money, I'm sure. Well, should have enough money, but he's addicted, so he probably doesn't have enough money. He's probably spending it all on drugs. Um, but uh, he was a really great bass player. Um, might still be. I don't know. I haven't kept up with him uh, since then. But um, but uh, he had a big impact on, on again, my tone and, and my playing and, and stylistic approach uh, to like more alternative rock. Nice. Um, so yeah, that's uh, awesome. Great band. Yeah. And then just really quick, our honorable mentions, cause yeah. we were both talking about, at least from my perspective, it's hard to pick like specific songs because when we were growing up, it, we had compilation CDs. So that's yeah. basically like playlists now, obviously. Yep. So it's hard to just pick one. So we were thinking like best of queen. Yep. Definitely. Best of Bob Marley. I had one called the best of funk that was hugely influential. It had like wrote, uh, Rose Royce, uh, the Commodores, the Ohio Players, uh, Cameo. Um, probably Sly Stone. Right. Probably. Chic. Yeah, yeah Chic. It had oh, all that definitely. kind of stuff on it. Um, so that was huge for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I love the Cranberries. Paramore was hugely influential on me. I still like their stuff. I think that oh, they're amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Every incredible. album's been pretty different, and yeah. I really like that. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the Beatles... Mm -hmm. the Rolling Stones. Yep. So it's hard to pick. We're probably going to have to do a part two on this. But, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But it is kind of crazy that we have so many different things that have kind of shaped who we are as musicians and as people. I think yeah. that's that's awesome. Yeah. And and uh, and there's still stuff that that uh, is still shaping me uh, for sure. who I am today. Like yeah. like maybe one final thing here before we finish up. Um, what is one artist that's more like current right now that is a big influence on 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 your playing Ooh, your that's, artistry that's so tricky 
Um, I have one if you need a second to think yeah, about it. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so for me, it's Butcher Brown, mm-hmm. um, which is a kind of like a jazz fusion uh, group. Um, right. And uh, they're they're freaking in, insane. I mean, they're just absolutely nuts. They're, they remind me a lot of um, Snarky Puppy. Um, so they kind of have that same vibe. Um, but their bass player, uh, Andrew Randazzo, um, their guitar player, um, blinking on his name, damn it. Um, <laughs> uh, but both of them, uh, have inspired me a lot to kind of like approach new things on the bass. I've been working on, um, transcribing one of Andrew's bass solos, um, off the song Forest 2.0. Nice. So put your brown Forest 2.0. The bass solo starts around two minutes and it's just... It's beautiful and it's also like ferocious. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say they're they're a really big one for me right now. I mean, there's so many. I really like uh the duo thing that's going on. It's been going on for a few years, like Royal Blood, the Blue Stones. I think that stuff's really cool because mm-hmm. it's very riff based. Yeah. But I honestly really like Billie Eilish. I think that nice. her a lot of her music was really cool because yeah. it was just so different. Mm-hmm. Very um, minimalistic. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many. That could be a whole episode in itself. Yeah. New artists you should check out. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to do it. Yeah, I think we will. <laughs> I think we will. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sex, Drugs, and Disappointment. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review and connect with us more on Instagram and TikTok at SDD Podcast. Each episode is also eventually available in video format on YouTube. <laughs> And don't forget, have fun, don't do too much, and it's gonna happen. (laughs) Sex.